one of the places that you take a stand is at your job. And you may be saying to yourself, Todd, you've not been to my place of employment. You don't know where I work. It's not quite that easy. Well, let me rephrase that. One of the places that you need to take a stand is at your job. Now, let me show you my reasoning for making that statement. For the most part, even if you're not working currently, say you've chosen to stay home and, and raise the children, um, and so one of the spouses is working, but you understand what it's like to at least have a job in, in that situation. You are at your job probably more during the week than you're about anywhere else. Now, you don't have to like that. You don't have to wish it was true. You may wish for retirement. You may uh, have all these thoughts about you know what you wish would happen. But the truth is, for most people, they're at their jobs a lot. Consequently, taking a stand for the Lord and living for Him at that place is an awesome way to to spread the fame of God. Are you with me? I mean, you're at your job a lot, so we should work as unto the Lord. That is the real concept behind 1 Timothy chapter 6. Take your Bibles and turn there, would you? 1 Timothy chapter 6. I suspect that as I was just talking about your job and where you work, some of you went from an attitude of, man, we love the Lord, to Todd, why would you bring it where I work? Well, perhaps you need a, an attitude adjustment in how you see your work. In this passage, Paul takes our jobs and he puts them on a level that many of us probably um, have yet to place our jobs on. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. He shows the great value and the great potential of our places of employment. I was just researching some numbers in the past few weeks and one survey reported that over 70% of Americans report that they do not like their jobs. And out of that 70%, 90% say they dread getting up every morning. And there may be various factors for that. But if that were to represent the Christian community, is it any wonder that our employers and fellow employees and perhaps our clients or customers maybe wonder if we're truly living the abundant life or the joy-filled life when they see well more than half kind of grumble and complain about their work? You see, because we're at our jobs so much, that's where people see us and they derive their opinion of our faith by watching our work. They really do. Let me show what I'm talking about. First Timothy chapter 6. Paul lays this out in some very clear terms. He begins in First Timothy chapter 6 verse 1. He says, All who are under the yoke of slavery. Now let me just stop there and say that when you read that, you may look at that and say, Wow, I'm not a slave. And you may have negative um, um, images of slavery. But perhaps you are reading your very fresh perspective of the word slave into this. You're thinking of the Civil War, and you're thinking of perhaps your own cultural view of it, as opposed to the biblical understanding of slave, which is really the word doulos. It simply meant someone who was under the authority of another. 
A good translation can easily be employee, or it might more represent an indentured servant from the colonial era. Someone that was well taken care of, someone that had a, a place to live, someone that had into an agreement to, to do a certain amount of work in return for a certain amount of being taken care of. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here. I don't know that, that perhaps there was a ton of difference between Jewish and Gentiles. There was some, and there was some differential in the, difference in the treatment, but what really seemed to surface in this culture was the, the, the different treatment that people got when they became believers. Whether they were on the slave side, the employee side, shall we say, use that word in our culture here, or perhaps on the master's side. Look what he says next. He says, all who are in the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. The word master there is despot. Now, as I just mentioned two words, slave and master. Some of you are like, man, Todd, that describes my work setting perfectly. You're probably thinking you're there, right? The word despot there doesn't necessarily indicate a negative connotation either. It means someone who just has unilateral authority. There, in our culture, they'd be the boss. They can make the call about what you do and don't do. He says that when there is a doulos and a despot, then they're, they're in this yoke. In other words... This relationship is one that you have because of a common duty. You have a job to do, a, a responsibility to perform. So you're in this yoke that's brought about because of your duties, because of your connection with responsibility. One's a slave, a doulos, an employee. One's a despot, a, a master or a boss, but you share something. You're kind of going the same way. You're doing something in common. You have this relationship. And Paul here says to Timothy, that he should relay to the believers in Ephesus that those who have that relationship are to consider their masters worthy of what kind of respect? Full respect. The picture is of a cup that's full to the brim. And there's no other way to describe full than by saying it means full. It's like trying to describe the word all. What does it mean? All. I mean, full means every bit. And Paul says that if you have a, a master, in this case an unbelieving master, you're to give them full respect. Here's why. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. The word there, slandered, means to disqualify or to bring down a notch, to ridicule. God's name and what the church teaches is on the line when it comes to how you view your boss and how they understand your view of, of who they are. It's on the line. You see, folks, we'll say more in a minute, but let me just kind of lay some groundwork here about this first verse. A whole lot more is at stake with your job than just your paycheck. Are you with me? There's more going on than just a few bucks clocking in a few hours. Man, God says that how you react and how you respect an unbelieving boss is, is one of the ways that people make their opinions about God's name and the church's teaching. Now look at verse 2. He says, those who have believing masters. And that phrase indicates that verse 1 must be about those who have what kind of masters? Unbelieving masters. So let's read on verse 2. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them just because they're brothers. You've seen that happen, haven't you? You've seen it where we take advantage of the relationships because we're, we're very close to them. 
In fact, you've probably experienced it. You've probably experienced this in your family. Like, you know, your, your husband wouldn't be late for a meeting with a client, but he's always late home from work. And he may say to you, well, honey, it's just you. Honey, it's just dinner. Sometimes we treat people closest to us in ways that are less than honorable. And the point he's making here is this. If you have a boss that's a believer, don't assume that that you always get a pass just because they'll always, quote-unquote, understand. I've been in church situations in the past where I've heard uh, fellow employees and folks say, well, you know what, I don't matter if you're there at a certain time, it doesn't matter what you do here, because they'll understand they're Christians. And it's almost as if you get someone of a less than best effort just because you're in the same family. Paul says here, it shouldn't be that way. Are you listening to me, church? He says, you know what, if you're in the same family, in fact, verse 2 says, you ought to serve those kinds of masters even better. Don't give believing bosses less than your best and give them the very best you have as well. Here's why. Because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. In other words, there's this relationship that believing employees have with believing bosses. And watch this now. Because the benefits go both ways, we ought to give our very best in those kinds of relationships. I mean, it's saying, and let me try to explain this without, it's going to sound kind of odd, so let me just kind of jump out on here and get, get started on this. When, when we work with unbelieving masters, we're to give full respect because God's name and the teaching on the line, but often the, what's, what's produced in that relationship from the company, let's say, the, the benefits or, or the product, helps all kinds of people, and they may be lost, or they may be outside the circle of the family believers, and, and that's just kind of the way that works. But when you have a believing boss and a believing master, often that relationship, how well you work and produce, I'll use that word in the right way, for the boss, and how well then he in turn can take care of you, man, it's kind of staying really close. It's in the spiritual family. Paul even said, I think it's in Galatians, that we should do good to all, especially those in the household of faith. I think there are several times in the epistles, Paul raises the importance of, of really doing your best because there's a special relationship when you're in the same spiritual family. Are you with me? That's kind of hard to explain. I'm not trying to say we should do less or, and give less to those on the outside. But there is something significant about belonging to the family of God and working for a believing boss. He says, you know what, when that happens, there's a benefit both ways, and it's because we're dear to them. The word there is agape. It's a derivative of the word agape, actually, and it means that you love in the way Christ loved. Now understand something. There's different words for the word love in the Greek language. And I think between unbelieving masters and unbelieving employees, maybe the word was more like phileo, which is friendly love. I mean, I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. That's what unbelievers do in the work world, isn't it? He says here, listen, when you have a believing boss and a believing employee, you've got a different level of love. And agape, which is the word sacrifice. And he just really raises the level of, of work, especially between believers, doesn't he? When I read these verses and I hear the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul about our relationship to unbelieving bosses as well as believing bosses, I'll just be honest with you. Your jobs go like this in my mind. I mean, they just, they just raise. Suddenly it's not like, well, hurry and get through with your work so you can get over to church. Instead, I'm like, you know what? Man, do well at your job. Work hard there. Give it your best because you know what? God's name is on the line. 
And I want to embolden you and encourage you to, to look at your job now, not through the lenses of the average American, but through the filter of the Bible. And accept your role as an employee or as an employer from a Christian perspective, maybe not from a hedonistic one. Amen? There's more at stake than just a paycheck. Now let me give you two statements that might help sum some of these things up. Because he does say the end of verse 2, we're to teach these things, we're to urge them on those who hear. So he's saying that probably this immediate context as well as the previous verses are things we should teach our people. Let me try to give you a couple of summary statements to help you kind of embrace these verses. First of all, starting tomorrow, I want you to work well. And some of you may go to work today, I don't know. So we'll just, we'll just say, when you go to work next, when you go to work next, I want you to do your work well for the sake of God's Fame. In fact, would you say that with me? I will do my work well for the sake of God's fame. You see, that's what's on the line here. Notice I didn't put this in there. I will do my work well for the sake of my finances. It's not that that's not important, but it's not the most important thing. This principle reminds me of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then what? All these other things will be added to you. You know, your work is where people make uh, opinions and evaluations of the name you wear and the faith you hold to. Are they seeing a true representative of the kingdom of God when you clock in? After first service this morning, I had a number of people... Just respond with prayer needs and comments about just how God was working in their job. One of the young ladies that's new to our church in the last six months, she said, Todd, I just relocated to Ankeny. And she quit her job in another area of Des Moines, moved to Ankeny by the call of God. And uh, she got a new job. And come to find out just in the last couple of weeks, her boss lives in Ankeny too. And she said, I've been praying about what I should do. She said, I've run into him twice. And she goes, my work is very corrupt. She goes, the two things that happen in my work is, man, they cuss all the time. And she said, and they're very dishonest on their time cards. And she goes, my boss is watching me, and he's making a, uh, estimations about who I am and what I believe based on those two things. He asked me today, he said, why do you always smile and never curse? And she looked at him, I think she said something like, well, do you really want to know now? And, you know, kind of like, I'll tell you, but I'm on the clock, so to speak, and... She goes, now I run into him twice right here in our own town. She goes, I think God's put me here for reasons other than where I'm working. It sounds like God's really going to use me in the life of my boss. I'm like, hello, amen. That's what it's all about, amen. I mean, she's saying that her job is far more than about finances. It's about God's fame. About the teaching of the church and living not hypocritically, but in a way that what we say and how we live really matches up. So tomorrow, when you go to work, work well for the sake of God's fame. You know, sometimes we have uh, uniforms that folks wear to work. You might have a shirt with a logo embroidered on it, or you may have a certain kind of uniform. I often wonder if we couldn't have a way to, let's say you have a shirt with, you know, first call construction. On the other side, maybe you have uh, Christian, you know, because you're wearing God's name, aren't you? Mercy Hospital. Christian. Now, that seems a little far-fetched, and you can laugh at that. But in a real sense, when you go to work, you're wearing God's name. And people 
are deriving their opinions of your heavenly Father when they watch your earthly work. Let's do our best when we clock in, amen, so to speak, to represent our Father well. Let me give you another statement. I will work well because of God's family. In fact, would you just repeat this back with me as well as you write it down? Here we go, ready? I will do my work well for the sake of God's family. And verse 2 is just really clear about the benefits that are brought about when believers partner together in a work relationship. And, And can I just encourage all of you who work for believing bosses to do an excellent job. You know why? And it's going to sound selfish. It's going to sound like it's almost like, hey, give and you'll get more. I'm not saying that at all, but I want to just try to appeal to you practically. When you do really well for a believing boss, that's probably a, a river that flows this way and flows back as well. Does that make sense? I mean, you're going to see the benefits return to you because probably this believing boss in turn will help take care of your needs. He'll be generous and he'll help you and he sees your heart is for him and he, you know his heart's for you and that's a really good two-way street. There's something special about God's family. And I want to encourage you that when you work, even if it's even in the corporate world, and it may have the name of some institution on it, but if your boss is a believing boss, man, do your very best. Understand that relationship has benefits from both angles. And give it your very best for the sake of God's family. In fact, I'd encourage you, if, if the time is right ever, and an ethical way to maybe establish this kind of relationship with your boss and let him know. I just want you to know that I too am a believer. And I want you to know I'm going to give my very best in this role as my employee because that's what the Bible calls me to do. You just tell him that. Tell her that. You'd be surprised the kind of response you might get. So we're going to do our work well for the sake of God's fame. And we're going to do our work well for the sake of God's family. Now you can say, Todd, that's awesome. Two simple verses, two simple statements. I'm ready to roll, I'm ready to clock in, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do it. But perhaps maybe you're curious about how that might look. And would it ever be tested? Uh, is it really hard? Is that easy? I want you to meet someone who's very serious about their work and has had to answer both of these questions and, and deal with these issues. In fact, very recently. I want you to meet Scott Sears. And Scott, will you join me on the platform, please? Scott's the owner of First Call Construction, and um, we've been friends for a number of years. They've been attending First Family for probably, what, a couple of years now? Mm-hmm. And we've known each other longer than that. And uh, just they're good friends of our families and just uh, dear servants of the Lord. And God has called Scott to uh, work in this area of construction through First Call Construction. But, uh, and though he's done it for years, as of late, Scott had a situation come up where or it was very difficult to say, okay, do I, do I really believe uh, what, I, what I say I believe about work and about this company? Share with us, Scott, briefly uh, the situation where God's fame was really on the line. Well, yeah, first of all, um, when Todd approached me because he knew of this situation and asked me to share it, I had a couple of concerns. And to be honest, one of them was, the main one was standing up here publicly and explaining, telling you guys about a big failure in our business and in a, a way that we treated a customer disrespectfully. And um, and then the other was just that, that what I would say would give God glory. So um, basically the story is that about a year ago, um, 
well, let me back up. Our construction company, uh, part of what we do is we repair houses from fires. So uh, we do fire restoration. And in that, um, smoke odor, removing smoke odors and things like that are uh, part of our training and what have you. Well, about a year ago, we, we had a customer that, uh, that hired us to repair his house. His name was Jeff. And um, we started the process. And in, in, in that process, you have to demo, remove all the drywall and insulation and, and charred members and things like that. And then you have to do smoke. Well, there's a lot of processes to remove smoke odor. And we did some of those, but not very well. And this particular project manager that had ran several projects for us in the past um, moved too quickly through that stage and did, did not do an adequate job. And the homeowner had been asking him, he said, you know, hey, and, and the project kept going, so we were we had demoed, done some things, and then we're all putting the house back together. And the homeowners approached our project manager and said, "Hey, I still smell smoke." And he's like, "Oh, we'll take care of it. We'll take care of it." And he just kept on going. And for over a few weeks, um, the project manager, which to this day I'm not sure why, <laughs> to tell you the truth, but fact is just basically misled that customer that we would take care of it, but yet the project kept on going to the point where the customer was very frustrated, lost faith in us as a company through that, um, and the first that I knew about it was a phone call to tell, tell us that we were fired from that project, and um, it was like a shock, like, whoa, what, you know, what do we do now, and so I tried to get a hold of the customer in a way where I could find out what he was, what the deal was. He wouldn't let us into his house to even evaluate what was going on. He was very mad, uh, very let down, very uh, used a lot of curse words at us. I mean, he was very, very frustrated. And um, finally, uh, through talking to him, he would he let one of my other managers and myself walk through his house and. And I'll tell you, we walked in. It was like, whoa, this was wrong. And um, and he was still so frustrated. We said, let us take care of it. We knew at that point that we had to re-gut the house to really make it right. And um, and he he had brought up points. And uh, the main issue there was he he said, I know you're the so-called Christian company, and I've never been lied to so much in my life. And yeah. I'll tell you. And Scott will have one of, um, I mean, he used words other than so-called. Can we just say that to everybody? I mean, he was very vile and very uh, just mean with language that was just hurtful about not just your company, but about your faith, wasn't he? Yeah, and at that point in time, it, it was very obvious. We just, I never doubted the fact of what we had to do um, to restore not only the house, but really, my prayer was that this man would be restored in his view of God. And you, do you see that? You see how Scott suddenly, his job wasn't just to fix a man's house, but you felt, man, we've got to do something on a spiritual level here. God's name's at stake, and I bet your motivation really went even deeper, didn't it? Like, okay, there's more on the line than a paycheck. Yeah, it uh, just to give perspective, this was about a fifty thousand dollar mistake, and um, 
So, but just knowing that God is in charge of our company, God's in charge of my life, $50,000 is a lot to me, but not to God. And when God's reputation was at risk, it was like, we have no choice. I mean, we have to do what's right. And honestly, even after we agreed to redo it, do whatever we needed to do to fix it, he still did not trust us. And it took two weeks before he would allow us permission to redo the project. And he finally did. And we did it, and we did it appropriately and right and respectfully. I will say that the project manager that was around for the first time is no longer employed with us. But um, we redid it and regained the trust with this particular customer. In fact, today we would consider each other friends. And uh, it has went from very, very tough to a, a good relationship. One of the things that, you know, I would ask you guys to pray, you know, for this customer. I was asked, I've been praying that God would use restoring his house and re-restoring his house um, to help him see God in a real way and that he would actually follow him. And we're not there yet, but we've sure got a good relationship. Amen. You know, when you hear that, a lot of times you're, you're thinking, man, I, I complain about my boss and there's not any money involved. I mean, you know, sometimes we get upset about things that have no price tag. We just don't get our way or we're grumbling about that. As an employee, here's an employer that knew the price of a mistake, but he knew the value of, of the of the reputation, not only of his company, but of God's name. And when you relate this to our family, Scott, and just ask us to pray, I remember when you shared what he said, it was just like, uh, it was like a, like a dagger just against you personally, because he associated this problem with you and, and your hypocrisy. You're like every other Christian, and, and suddenly it became more, didn't it? And I appreciate the way you took the time to um, humble yourself to this customer, and that your job became a platform for God's glory. I appreciate that. There were some other scriptures that God gave you as well. Can I walk us through maybe one of those that really was a help? Well, prior to this situation, God had really laid it on my heart. Uh, Proverbs 22.1, and it um, said, Seek a good reputation over great riches. And um, uh, being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. And we actually stitched it on our ball caps. I mean, we took that serious. This was before the situation. And, you know, God allowed a big test, I think, on that. Um, but uh, so that really, that scripture, especially through this, it just was like we've got to, we've got to, you know, step in and save God's reputation and our reputation, and it's the right thing to do no matter what the cost is. When you relayed that to us, I went home and I was asking Julie, before I told her the whole story, and we were praying for it, I I said, hey, i got a question for you. How much would you pay to save your name? And, of course, she responded like, well, what are you getting at? What's the point of this question? You know, are you setting me up? And we, we, we rarely answer questions. We do a lot of asking at our house all the time. And so I just told her, I said, no, I just was curious. Cause I said, you know, the Searsans, they know the price tag of a good name. For them, it was about $50,000. I said, would, would we pay $50,000 to keep our name good? Now, you're going to say that. Well, sure you would. But don't don't be so quick to act like you got all in control. Would you would you really borrow a hundred thousand dollars? Would you spend a million dollars to 
to keep your name intact. Now you may say, well, man, Todd, that's a lot of money. But in principle, it's the same thing, isn't it? $50,000 was like, it's the right thing to do. If you can do that at 50000 then I suspect if it was $500, you would still say, it's the right thing to do. What would you pay for your name? Or could it be bought? Interesting, isn't it? Hey, give us some takeaways. We've heard the text. We've heard your story. And I'm sure folks are like, man, it's, work matters. I mean, give us some takeaways we can walk home with. Well, I think the... the the big issue that, or the big thing that really made it doable for me and without hesitation was that I had already given the business to God and, um, and, and hopefully my life to God. But even on the business, you know, for those that are self employed, there's a lot of ambition that drives people to start a business and these kinds of things. And, um, over the years, I think I've been able to give the business to God fully. I used to say, God, I'm going over here. You want to come join me, I'll do it your way. You know, um, Not, God, what do you want? This is your deal. And um, over the last few years, I've been able to do that. So when this situation came up, that's what caused, I think, us as a company just to say, we need to do what's right. We need to do what God wants, period no matter what the cost is. Uh, before, I would have just thought, oh, 50000 this is $50,000 worth of work. We've got to figure out how to weasel our way out of it, you know, or how can we do a little bit and not all of it? And, and um, we just humbled ourselves and, uh, and, and apologized and, and moved on and, and leave it up to God. Scott, I respect you more for being this transparent. Uh, you were worried about embarrassing, but I don't look at first call... Um, they made mistakes before this one probably. You're a human company. Our church is not perfectly made mistakes. That's what people do. But Christians own them. And they say, hey, I want to make that right because there's more at stake than just the job. I have a Heavenly Father and His name is at stake. And so we do humble ourselves and we make things right, don't we? And you expect your church to do that. And guess what? We expect you and your jobs to do that. Scott, thank you for leading the way at our church in that effort. Can we thank Scott for his transparency and his testimony this morning? So will you say this with me, not out loud, but in your heart as we wrap up up today? And some of you are going to kind of buck up at this. But because God's uh, fame and God's family is really worth working hard for. I want you to be as committed to Monday as you are to Sunday. You see, sometimes we have this misperception that Sunday's the day we go and worship. And what you really mean is we go and sing. That's what you're trying to say in our Christian culture. Because if you really believed that worship is a lifestyle, you'd say, man, Monday I'm going to go worship. And I'm going to give God my very best in my work. When I come home, I'm going to go worship with my family. I'm going to go to worship when I give the offerings. I'm going to worship when Todd teaches. We're going to learn together. My whole life's an act of worship. So I think you really believe that. We just haven't learned to say it well yet. So I want to ask you again. Will you be as serious about Monday worship as you are about Sunday worship? All of us here want to give God awesome glory and make Him famous on Sunday. Don't we sing, the whole earth filled your glory. Amen. And we love that. Lift our hands. We like God being famous among us, don't we? 
Guess what? He wants His name known out there to the whole world. So I invite you to take Monday worship just as seriously as you take Sunday worship. And let's be the 24-7 church that we know God's called us to be. Let's live every day for the sake of His fame and God's family. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning, shall we, First family? All of our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Will you reflect for a few moments and draw a circle right around that chair you're in? Create that sanctuary where God's Spirit can just point a finger right inside. Don't be distracted. Are you living for God's fame and God's family when it's not Sunday? Maybe some here would say, Todd, I have had a terrible attitude about the people I work with and the man or woman I work for. And I've not obeyed this Scripture But when I go to work next, I will. And it may mean for some people to make things right. Maybe they've got to go and have a good heart-to-heart with their boss and pledge their full respect. It may mean an opportunity with some fellow employees to, so to speak, take back some words you've said about your superiors and in places where they've heard. I don't know how God's Spirit will lead you, but I do know this. I am confident God's Spirit will bring all of us to places of action and change. My job is to prompt you to obey the Lord. It's not to let you weasel out or squirm away. Will you, when you go to work next, obey and honor your believing or unbelieving masters? And in doing so, will you bring awesome fame to God and, and great benefits to God's family?